Voyage. Hey guys, what's going on? Jack Austin here with Seven Land Productions, ready to talk to you about the newest edition of the Fever Dream series, The Charnel House. This is a spooky episode that really goes for broke at the end. We encourage you to go and listen to this in a dark room with the lights out. It starts with a grieving widow going to Egypt, reminiscing about the guilt she feels about an affair she had prior to her terminally ill husband's death. And then it goes right into supernatural nightmare territory. Enjoy the charnel house. Who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Most people might say I was wrong for what I did. Most days, I do too. Do you need a taxi, ma'am? I do. You speak English very well. Yes, you are American. I love Americans. Where may I drive you? The Giza Cairo Hotel. A very nice hotel. Very nice. You sit back and Akim will get you there in no time. Thank you, Akim. Sweetheart. You've been crying. No, it, it's, it's just allergies. The doctors are optimistic about your progress. You're the sweetest liar I know. I couldn't stop the tears from leaking and falling down my cheeks. I lay my head on his bed, and his hand stroked my head comforting me when he was the one who lay dying. Anything important? It's Roz. She's having another boyfriend crisis. She can wait. Go. There's no need for you to stay here and watch me sleep. Are you sure? All I need is a kiss to send me to sleep. I love you. He called me a sweet liar, but he wouldn't have had he known where I was really going. It started innocently enough, two strangers sharing their grief. Excuse me, would, would you mind if I shared your table? They, they all seem to be taken. That was the first time I met Joseph. <laughs> We chatted over coffee, talking mostly about him and his practice. But when I heard he was a widower, I felt like a dam broke inside me. And I told him about Frank and how broken I felt. I understand. My wife had ALS. She died a piece at a time. She lost her ability to talk, to write, and to communicate at all. It's just the worst part was I could tell from her eyes that she was still inside that broken body. The, the disease didn't affect her brain, just her nervous system. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. But I'm happy you sat down at my table. It helps to know I'm not alone. 
Here we are at the Giza Cairo. Very beautiful, is it not? Yes, it is. Ask for a room on that side of the hotel and you look out over this oasis all the way to Giza. That view gives the hotel its name. I'll do that. Here's my card. If you want a guide, I have a master in Egyptology and can give you a good tour. You already know I'm a good driver. I will take you wherever you want to go. Thank you, Akeem. I took Akeem's advice and asked for a room facing Giza. That night, I stood on my balcony and looked out at the Giza pyramids in the distance, thinking how much my husband would have loved it. We can start in Cairo, visit the Cairo Museum, the pyramids of Giza, and my favorite, the Sphinx. Don't forget the rug factory and the perfumeries. Then we can end our trip to Sharm el-Sheikh. How about a dive in the Red Sea? You can dive. I'll snorkel and lie on the beach. (laughs) And I'll come back to a bronze goddess. But Frank got sick, and the trip never happened. I want you to go. Go to Egypt after I'm gone. Frank, I can't go without you. Then take me with you. Take a few of my ashes and spread them at the Sphinx and in the Red Sea. Just don't fall in love. I want you to be happy. But just wait a year. One year. Then go where your heart leads. Promise me, Leah. (laughs) Promise me. I promise. I'll have the asobuco and a glass of Pinot Noir. I never minded eating alone. When most people brought books or looked at their phones, I sat back and watched people making up stories about their lives and relationships. But as the waiter put my meal before me, my mind got caught in the past. Leah, so glad you could come. I don't know what I'm doing here. You're having dinner with a friend. I made also buku. It's kind of a specialty of mine. You really do cook. Did you think I was lying? No, it's just... Neither Frank nor I cook. We usually just go out or order in. (laughs) Yeah, my wife didn't cook either. She loved having a husband that cooked. She'd bring friends over for dinner. They didn't believe it either until they tasted my food. Wine? Please. All right. Cheers to new friendships. Bon appetit. Mmm, this tastes amazing. Like it? Good, I'm glad you like it. He smiled at me then, and I felt butterflies take flight in my stomach. Dinner, wine, and a handsome man focused entirely on me. It felt so good. Hospital beds and bedpans and the sound of a heart monitor receded into the background. As we cleared the dishes, Joseph's hand brushed mine. When I didn't pull away, his soapy hand slipped into mine, causing my breath to become shallow with anticipation. Joseph turned toward me, his need emanating from him and touching my own. 
His kiss was soft and sweet, but I could feel the passion wanting to break out. Shivers of pleasure danced down my spine. Then he broke away and looked at me, wondering I could see if he had overstepped. So I stepped into his arms, pressed my body against his, and kissed him not so softly. It was like an electric shock went through me, and I lost my mind to the warmth of his body and the taste of wine in his mouth on his probing tongue. The Egyptian Museum houses the largest collection of Egyptian antiquities in the world. The new museum on the Giza Plateau is expected to open sometime this year. I kind of like this one. Me too. But Egypt is becoming modern. Now, before we go see the King Tut exhibit, I want to show you this. It's amazing. Yes, this is the statue of Anubis, the god of mummification and protection in the afterlife. He's a man with the head of a jackal and holds the golden scales of justice. Anubis measures the hearts of the dead on one side of the scale against the feather of Ma'at, the god of justice. If the heart is lighter than the feather, then the soul could live forever in the realm of the dead. If the heart is heavier than the feather, then the heart is fed to the monster or demon Amid the destroyer. Standing in front of the statue made me uncomfortable. I could feel the eyes of Anubis upon me. They seemed to follow me as I followed Akim into another part of the museum, and I wondered if he was already taking the measure of my heart. The feeling followed me all the way back to the hotel. The pyramids are relics of Egypt's old kingdom, built around 4,500 years ago. I thought they were impressive just seeing them from my balcony. Yes, but nothing compares to standing in their shadow. The pharaohs expected to be gods in the afterlife, so they built a temple filled with everything they need in the next life. Pharaoh Khufu built the Great Pyramid. It towers 147 meters above the plateau. It's magnificent. The blocks are huge. How did they stack those on top of each other with such accuracy? That is a mystery. Some say our ancestors were more advanced than people think. Some say aliens came down and taught them how to do it. Aliens? That's what some people believe. Would you like to go inside? The inside of the pyramid was narrow and extremely claustrophobic. You had to stand sideways to let the people walking out by. And when it came time to ascend, the ceiling was so low you had to bend over. I was relieved when we finally entered a large room with an empty stone sarcophagus. But I was also vaguely disappointed. Is something wrong? No. Well, yes, kind of. I guess I was expecting something more... mysterious. Oh yes, there are hidden chambers and underground tunnels, but we cannot go there. I just thought that I'd feel something... I don't know spiritual. You said that this was meant to be a temple, so I thought... Be careful what you wish for, Mrs. Leia. In Egypt, you just might find it. Akeem's warning sent a little shiver up my spine. 
The walk out seemed longer and more claustrophobic. The huge stones seemed to press down on me and I felt a crushing panic inside my chest. When we finally emerged, I stood outside the entrance and took several deep breaths until the panic subsided. The Sphinx holds all the mystery you missed at the pyramids. It's exquisite. The Sphinx is the human-headed lion in Greek mythology. Nobody knows the original name. It was carved from a single mass of limestone in the middle of a quarry in the Giza Plateau. It is one of the largest and oldest monolithic statues in the world. Was someone buried inside? No, nobody really knows what it was for, but many believe it was a temple and was connected to the pyramids of Giza. There are astrological events that connect them, leading some to believe that they were some kind of cosmic machine that would help to resurrect the pharaoh. Akeem looked at me then and smiled. Does this make you feel something spiritual? Resurrection always does. So, did the pharaohs have the corner on resurrection, or could others be brought back as well? Resurrection is a complicated process. It would depend on knowing the correct rituals and having the favor of the gods. I'll leave you to spend a little time with the Sphinx. I wished Frank was there to see this. The Sphinx truly moved me. Its mystery, the magic of the temple at its feet, and the idea it was a resurrection machine. But its magic didn't touch that dark space inside me. I opened the small canister I had filled with some of Frank's ashes and poured half of it out. The wind carried them all the way between the Sphinx's paws. At least I kept one promise to him. I had heard about the spice market at the Khan El Khalili marketplace from friends who had gone to Egypt. Like the rug factories and the perfumeries, the stories of the spice market fascinated me. I decided to give Akeem the day off and took a taxi to the market. Armed with a map scribbled on a small pad by the concierge of my hotel, I entered the marketplace. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. The streets were narrow, only two camels wide, the guidebook said. And the buildings leaned in toward each other, nearly blocking out the sky. It didn't take me long to get lost in the labyrinth of narrow alleys. The alleys were lined with shops and Egyptian men standing in the doorways trying to get you to come in and sample their wares. When I tried to pass by, they called, Why do you break my heart? That phrase was like a dagger. I hurried past, not wanting even to engage, not even looking at the fake statues or multicolored scarabs. It was hot and sweat beaded under my nose and across my forehead. Why are you breaking my heart? I started turning at random corners, getting more and more lost until I finally stopped, my head spinning and my chest tight. My shop is cool. My wife will serve you a cold drink that would make you feel better. Please, come inside. I'm lost. We will help you find your way. Please. Here, sit. 
See, my wife is here already. We even have ice in your drink. We know you Americans like ice. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes, sit and drink your tea. All will be well. You have a beautiful shop here. It looks different from all the others. Most shops want to sell to tourists. They pay as little as they can and charge as much as they can get. I and a few others are different. Different how? I like to sell things that are harder to find. The real Bedouin art, rather than the things they do for money. And there are other people who work to replicate the less popular statues and images or make a better quality scarab. For instance? Like this scarab. Here, you hold it. It's rough. It is carved in an old style, using tools only our ancestors used. Most of the people who come here are looking for something more of Egypt than of China. How are you feeling? Amazing, actually. This statue caught my eye. Can you tell me anything about it? That is Salket, the goddess of protection. She is best known for her golden statue and the alabaster canopic jar from the tomb of Tutankhamun. Oh, yes, I, I saw both at the Egyptian Museum. May I pick it up? Of course. She is associated with healing, magic, and protection. Her voice means she who causes the throat to breathe. She has a scorpion on her head. She is also the goddess of venomous creatures. She protected Isis from the scorpion's sting when she went to resurrect Osiris. But others say she can cause the scorpions to sting and stop your breathing, if she so chooses. She who causes the throat to breathe. How much? There was something about the statue that drew me to it. It seemed so real, not like the knockoffs everyone else was selling. This one was made of white alabaster and had African features. She seemed more real, more capable of making your throat breathe. So I left the store with the statue wrapped in bubble wrap and tucked into my purse. I turned the corner and lo and behold, there was the spice market. I stood there gazing in wonder at the kaleidoscope of yellows, reds, blues, blacks, and browns. Sharp odors of spices collided into a nose-tickling blend, and steep shafts of sunlight cut through the canvas-covered street to brighten the exotic dust that filled the air. I walked down the street in a state of sensual overload until one man came and took my arm, guiding me to his booth. My name is Abdul, and I speak very good English. This is my family's business. We have good spices. You want curry? We have all different kinds. I'd like some saffron. Yes, yes, we have saffron. But you must have this. It is a special blend of 42 spices with a touch of cinnamon. Very good for kebabs. You can't live without this. No, thank you. Just saffron and some hibiscus tea. Some pepper, then. See, we have white, green, red, and black peppercorns. You don't have green pepper in America. You must take some for your friends and family. I, I don't really need pepper. Abdul, just the saffron and hibiscus. Uh, yes, of course. Saffron and hibiscus. And a box of lavender incense. Uh, free. It's a gift. Shukran. It is difficult for a foreign woman to visit the Khan al-Khalili alone. Come. She was an African woman, tall, dressed in a white dress that seemed to melt into her black skin. She led me through the maze of streets to a small cafe, 
Fischeri's Café is famous for its lamb kebabs. I realized I was starving and ordered the lamb kebabs with pita bread and a diet cola, served cold but without ice. So, are you enjoying your trip to my country? Yes, very much. But? The land is amazing. The history, the pyramids and the sphinx. But I guess I was expecting something more. What is it you are looking for? It was like her question echoed through the caverns of my body, touching the darkest secret of my soul. I promised not to be with another man for a year after his death. And then I left the hospital to be with Joseph. Hi, Leah. I stepped into his arms and put all of my need into my kiss. He responded in kind. His hands traced a line of shivers down my breasts, abdomen, and legs. Then he pulled away and took me to his bedroom. I pushed myself into a kind of recklessness that crashed through all of my guilt and grief and delivered me into a flood of pleasure. That's your phone. It can go to voicemail. By the time I got back to the hospital, he was gone. He died alone because I was with another man. I realized that what I was looking for was absolution, not spiritual revelation, not a mystical experience, absolution for betraying my husband and letting him die alone. I could not say that. But how the woman looked at me felt like she already knew. You should visit St. Catherine's Monastery. I'm not really religious. St. Catherine's is in the shadow of Mount Sinai. Where Moses received the Ten Commandments? Many scholars theorize that spell number 25 in the Egyptian Book of the Dead was the basis for the Ten Commandments. So you're saying that God's commandments are really the commandments of the Egyptian gods? Try your own conclusions. I've never read the Book of the Dead. I suppose I should. Don't bother. It's all rather boring, unless it's happening to you. Do you know the story of Akhenaten? I know he was married to Nefertiti and tried to introduce the worship of the One God to Egypt. Mm-hmm. It is well known that Moses was raised as a pharaoh's son. Some scholars believe that after he freed his people from the Pharaoh Ramses, and after his experience with the burning bush and the Ten Commandments, he returned to Egypt to claim his birthright and became the great Pharaoh, Akhenaten. Wow. I never knew that. Hmm. I must go now. Visit St. Catherine's. I believe you'll find what you're looking for there.
It wasn't until she walked away that I realized I didn't even know the woman's name. I said goodbye to Cairo and flew to Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt's premier resort at the southern tip of the Sinai. There, the desert sands spilled over the coast and into the Red Sea. I snorkeled in the warm waters, marveling at the soft corals that looked like bright English gardens waving in the shafts of sunlight dancing in the water. Frank would have loved it. I sprinkled some of his ashes in the sea and started to cry. I missed Frank so much that I ached in every part of me. I returned to my hotel, and there, in the entryway, a brochure stood out. St. Catherine's Monastery. I picked it up and discovered it was just a two-hour drive. Visit St. Catherine's. I believe you'll find what you're looking for there. Mrs. Leah! Mrs. Leah, it's me, Akim. Akim, what are you doing here? Miss Leah, I came to visit my cousin, but he has to work, so I am playing driver and guide. How wonderful! Yellow Bena. Yes, let's go. The monastery has stood in the heart of Sinai Desert for 1,499 years. Muhammad, Arab caliphs, Turkish sultans, and even Napoleon had all put the monastery under their protection. It is only monastery that has never been looted or privileged throughout all its long history. That's amazing. What's so special about that monastery that they would protect it like that? It is a sacred place existing in the shadow of Mount Sinai. It is the home of burning bush out which God spoke to Moses. The burning bush is there? It's no longer burning, of course, but the bush dates back to the time of Moses, and it is near the well where Moses met his wives. I felt myself relaxing. I was in the car with someone I knew and trusted and had a two-hour drive ahead of me. This part of the trip was for me. I had done everything Frank had planned. I had kept my promise. Frank's remains were put in an urn and then placed in his family's mausoleum. But I kept some of his ashes as I promised. Then I broke another promise, but not to him this time. Okay, so, I've been looking at trips to Egypt, and this one looks like it hits everywhere you want to go. I need to go alone, Joseph. What? I, I thought... I know, and I'm sorry I led you on like that. I really care about you. You gave me the comfort I needed and, and helped me get through Frank's death. That sounds like goodbye. Look... Uh, Leah, I know you're hurting and that you're you're filled with guilt. I'm in love with you, Leah. I'm willing to wait until you're ready. 
I'm not doing this because of my guilt, Joseph. Although I swim in it. I'm doing it because... I just don't love you. As Akeem drove us through the desert, granite crags scarred by jagged veins of blue and green rock jutted up from the landscape. I was surprised to see that the natural rock formations looked just like pyramids, complete with rock spires standing sentinel before them. I remember thinking that these were the true pyramids of Egypt. When we were nearing the end of our drive, Akeem looked at me in the rearview mirror. Do you feel it? I almost asked what, but then I realized I did feel something. Some higher vibration of energy than while traveling through the desert. The car pulled into a parking lot lined with makeshift stores with alabaster eggs and religious paraphernalia. The pulse of energy grew as I stepped from the car onto the land. There was real power here. I could sense it deep in my bones. Visit the church first and walk in the shadow of Mount Sinai. See the bush and the well, but save the charnel house for last. You're not coming with me? This is not a place to be experienced with a guide. It is a place where feeling it is more important than hearing about it. The church was ornate with its chandeliers and wall sconces that depicted dragons that looked like the mountains through which I'd just driven. There was even a display of the coffin of St. Catherine. Look, honey, they actually have a coffin here. They don't expect you to believe this St. Catherine really is in there, do they? The man's wife hurried him outside. Tourists like that gave Americans a bad name. I made my way to the burning bush. It was like no plant I'd ever seen before. It had delicate leaves and tiny thorns and was kept behind a fence of chicken wire in an effort to keep tourists from breaking off pieces of it as a souvenir. Outside the confines of the church, little boys with boxes of alabaster eggs swarmed around trying to sell their wares. I had to laugh. They were so full of energy, pushing and shoving each other to be the one to score my money. I looked at each of their boxes and chose one egg. The others moved on to the man who had been so loud in the church. Get away from me, you bastards! I want nothing to do with you. Go! The sun was sinking toward the mount when I got to the charnel house, the repository of the bones of all the monks who had ever lived and died at St. Catherine's. But when I got there, the house had closed early for cleaning. I sat down on a stone bench, wallowing in disappointment, when a small mouse ran by, stopped, and wriggled its whiskered nose at me. I tracked it as it ran through the gathering gloom until it disappeared through a door that had been left slightly ajar. The door led into the charnel house. I debated whether or not to go in, but in the end, I decided to go. Who knew when I'd ever have a chance to visit a charnel house again? I slipped through the door and stood in a room piled high with skulls, their eye sockets filled with shadow, giving the illusion of black eyes looking out at me, judging me. 
On the other wall were the bones of limbs, all neatly sorted in piles of tibias and ulnas and flanges. While on the drive up, Akeem told me about the charnel house. The ground around the monastery is too difficult to dig, and what does get buried in the loose sand does not stay out. So deceased monks are first buried in the one grave they have, then disentered their bones cleaned and deposited in the charnel house. All of the skeletons in the macabre room had been disassembled except for one, which was dressed in the black vestments of a monk sitting upright. The skeleton in the black robes was a hermit named Stephanus, a 6th century monk who had been but one of the many hermits living a life of monasticism on the flanks of the holy mountain. Stephanus' skeletal hand was raised as if beckoning, and it sent a chill down my spine. I decided to leave the way I came in, but when I turned, I noticed that right behind the hermit's remains was a stone door slightly ajar. Once again, I looked at the skeleton's hand, and a light sweat broke out on my forehead. I, I thought I would leave, but instead I stepped toward that door and into the passageway beyond. A stairway was carved into granite leading down. A cool breeze wafted up the stairs, bringing with it the sharp smell of incense and spice and the indistinct sound of voices somewhere below. I don't know why I descended into that pool of darkness. A part of me was screaming in terror, while another part laughed in manic delight at the thought of finally finding something real, something no other tourist would see. My mind was screaming for me to turn around and get out of there, but my legs still carried me downward. As consciousness returned, I became aware that my back was against a rough, cold wall, and my weight hung against my arms which were chained to that wall. My head swam, and everything looked as if I were underwater. Torches on the walls illuminated a beautifully wrought painting of the goddess Newt. Her body stretched up one wall, across the ceiling, and down the opposite wall. On the wall opposite was an image of Selkit, looking very much like the statue I had purchased, with arms held wide and a scorpion perched on her head. Three wooden steps led up to a small opening placed just where Selkit's womb would be. There were people dressed in what looked like ancient Egyptian costumes. Then a figure stepped from the shadows and I was looking into the eyes of Anubis, the jackal-headed god of the underworld, judge of the dead. I, I tried to convince myself this was all a dream or some venom-induced hallucination, but a rush of adrenaline cleared away the shadows that had clouded my mind, and I knew it was no hallucination. No! Please! No! You were looking for the real Egypt, Leia. The woman that befriended me in the Khan el-Khalili market stood before me, dressed in a white robe that sensuously hugged her curves. Gold thread traced the outline of scorpions with their tails raised. The torchlight gave the illusion of those tails moving back and forth, 
poised and ready to strike. Sulk it. I don't know how I knew it was her, but I did. And I knew why I was there. I had died back there on the stairs, and I knew I was to be judged. My heart against Ma'at's feather of justice, and I knew what the outcome of that judgment would be. These are the bones of a monk who died a faithful servant to the old gods. He has died many times. We lay out his bones to see if he may be resurrected once again. Resurrection is complicated. Yes. But not reserved just for the pharaohs. I suddenly realized that I was not the only one there to be judged. The man who had been abusive to the Egyptian boys was chained to the wall beside me. The acolytes dragged him to a stone table next to the bones and lay him upon it. Anubis placed four canopic jars on each side of the altar. This man is to be judged. To my horror, Anubis reached out and pushed his hand into the man's chest, pulling out his still beating heart. My knees gave way as pure terror shot through me. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. A part of me screamed in terror while another watched in horrid fascination. These are the scales of justice. This man's heart will be weighed against Ma'at's feather of justice. The feather was already on the golden scale. When Anubis placed the heart on the other side, that side dropped abruptly. This man is not a just man. His soul is forfeit. Scorpions swarmed onto the altar, the stings poisoning the man until I could no longer see any of his flesh. Then they left as suddenly as they came. Anubis then removed three more organs from the man's body and placed them in the canopic jars. The heart went into the final one. Then the jars were placed on the altar with the bones. This monk will be resurrected. The scorpions on Salket's gown suddenly came free and dropped onto the altar and covered the bones. Tendons, ligaments, and muscles and blood vessels sprung into being under their stingers. Anubis took the organs from the jars and placed them inside the regenerating body. Skin crawled and spread across the newly made muscles. Selkit reached out and touched the man's throat, and he began to breathe. Then the ceiling came to life, and Newt reached toward the monk and touched his chest. The man rose. The bones in the charnel house are not those of monks, but of tourists. The man's body was removed, and Anubis placed another skeleton on the altar. Another faithful servant of the old gods awaits resurrection. You are seeking absolution. Let us see if you deserve it. A sudden calm enveloped me. It was the calm of acceptance of a fate I could not escape. I closed my eyes as Anubis came and reached inside my chest, removing my heart. If your heart is filled with the lightness of a virtuous life, with goodness and mercy, we'll find that a balance has been achieved, and your heart will not displace the scales of justice when weighed against this feather. 
if it is dense with deeds of evil, contempt and deceit, it will show in the balance, and your body will be forfeit. I opened my eyes then and watched Anubis take my heart to the scales. My life flashed before my eyes, my transgressions, my betrayal of my husband and the shameful use of my lover. But I did not want to die. Sulkin, protect me as you did the pharaohs of old. Protect me and, and I will become a faithful servant of the old gods, of you. I will take you to my home and serve you however you wish. The goddess looked at me as if considering my request. Anubis placed my heart on the scale, but I never saw what happened next, for the scorpions flooded out of the walls and swarmed over my body. Their legs spidered over my skin, pinching and scratching. I opened my mouth to scream, and scorpions streamed down my throat. Darkness consumed me. Mrs. Leah, can you hear me? Where am I? You are in hospital. You were stung by a scorpion. He gestured to my bandaged foot, which throbbed in time with the heart monitor. And then you fell down some old stairs in the basement of the charnel house. What were you doing there? Only one scorpion sting? It only takes one. The African scorpion is very lethal. You are lucky to be alive. Anubis was there. And Sulkit... They took my heart. The sting can cause hallucinations. You bumped your head too. It seemed so real. You found what you were looking for, yes? I returned home with a wine-colored scar on my foot in the shape of a crudely shaped scorpion and the statue of Selkit carefully tucked away in my carry-on. My friends were abuzz with the news of a tourist gone missing at St. Catherine's while I was there. I set up an altar with the statue of Selkit taking the place of honor and burned the lavender incense the spice vendor Abdul had gifted me. The doctors agreed with Akeem. My experience had been a vivid hallucination. But when I lie down at night, I can feel the scorpions scuttling around inside me. Fever Dreams, a pulp collection, is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mandel, Robert Midas, and Dan Benamore in association with Robert Lamb and Jack Austin of Seven Lamb Productions. This episode, The Charnel House, was directed by Dan Benamore, executive produced by Deborah Doughty, written by Deborah Doughty, based on her short story of the same name. The short story was published in a horror anthology, Summer Chills, which is available on Amazon. A link is in the show notes. Starring Annie Abrams 
as Leah. Additional cast credits available in the show notes. Edited, sound designed, and mixed by Jackson McLennan. Original music by Durlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, and subscribe now for future episodes. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Please try to get some sleep tonight. I've been trying to sleep all week. Nothing helps. You could try sleep sound. No thanks. You've had enough nightmares for the both of us. Let me go! Come on. The medication has nothing to do with that. I haven't had a bad dream in ages. (laughs) Ever since your highly problematic affair in Idaho? Oh my god. Never stop. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Well, you still haven't told me who you're bringing to graduation. Oh. Your heart is racing. How can you tell? You're lying on top of me. What if I don't want anyone else to know yet? And it wasn't a bad dream? I don't know. Christopher. You know. Can't you appreciate that I'm trying to help you here? Thanks for the pills, Lils. Dreamers, Season 2 by Broken Crown Productions. Tune in weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. 